0: This is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own.
1: Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 119, operating on March 7th, 2022. This is Drew and I'm here with my fellow industry insider, Doug. We're two geeks creating a network for airline, airplane, airport, and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. Doug, we were both glued to the TV, flight radar apps, and all the news coming in about the Russian attack on the Ukraine. We're going to come back to that. Let's just start with something light, (laughs) or maybe not so light. You were a little perturbed yesterday with a a stuck mic. (laughs) but (laughs) And we're going to hear about that. But you got a break because you are on, I'm going to coin this word now, and it's for you, workcation. Because the pictures that you sent me, look like you're on a vacation you're at a resort
0: yeah i i am i'm i'm actually in the real Fort myers i'm not in Myr- <laughs> myrtle beach or what 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 we for the listeners who aren't sure what we're talking about when drew and i non to myrtle beach we couldn't remember where we were and that, that sounds terrible but it was one of those things mm. where we ended up there unexpectedly and we we had no idea. It, it was really hard to remember where, where right. are we? And if you go back and listen to that episode last August, it, it's actually pretty comical listening to us talk, trying to figure out w- where we are exactly. Well, you're in
1: Fort Myers and I think Myers M Y R. So M Y R I'm thinking is Fort Myers, not uh,
0: Myrtle beach. Correct. Yeah. And uh, the, the hotel that we're staying at is, is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yes, it does seem like a vacation. I had a couple drinks, in, in the lobby bar last night mm-hmm. but we're recording right now i'm getting calls from marissa asking to find what time a best buy opens because right. the dog chewed her computer cord she's trying to get the kids ready for school so i'm helping there so yes while it does seem like a vacation i'm still quote-unquote working working yes workation. We're, we're, workation. <laughs> still work exactly yeah
1: <laughs> well yeah and then you were uh you were complaining you were ranting that the room you got is facing some air conditioner unit instead of the pool. Yeah. So it's, I'm so it, sorry it, about that. I
0: know. I know it's, <laughs> it's funny. There are probably 300 some rooms in this hotel <laughs> and be, because I'm air crew and I, I don't know how much the airline pays for the room. Probably. Yeah. Pe- pennies on the dollar compared to what everyone else staying here. We what, like a thousand dollars. Yeah. We, we, we definitely do not get the, ocean facing, pool facing, mangrove facing rooms. <laughs> I have to go walk to see that kind of stuff.
1: But I just want everyone to know that Doug did complain that he did not get the honeymoon suite for the <laughs> <laughs> the presidential balcony. the presidential suite. <laughs> All right, so masks are a big thing and we have a whole story on masks. You know, I was telling you they dropped the mask mandate for my county for indoor restaurants and businesses. So I went into the Whole Foods the day after it was lifted, Doug, I was the only, well, myself and one college student that were not wearing masks. Everyone was wearing masks. And I felt self-conscious.
0: I, I'm wondering if they didn't get the memo. I, I, it's hard to tell. So. Yeah, it's it's really hard to tell. And I, I know, I, without getting into the political discussion, I, I know that there are certain parts of the country where people feel differently and ha- have felt differently about this the entire time. But I can tell you, living in California, which was very mask mandate heavy throughout the entire pandemic. We lifted mm-hmm. ours a week ago. You you go most places and, and people aren't wearing them. I was in Chicago yesterday. Okay. I, I I was telling you, Chicago itself was, was very mask mandate heavy throughout the whole pandemic. They just lifted it. The hotel that we were staying at, or no no, very few people were wearing masks. So I, I think that with Omicron, with vaccinations, with i I hate to say pandemic fatigue with with all of this people are finally getting to the point where where it's their own risk tolerance Mm, it's it's people's own risk tolerance and and what they're willing to to risk and and tolerate well and
1: also the cdc is uh approving of it recently because Mm -hmm. they're saying infections are so low now it's okay to lift masks but we should hold that discussion because yeah, we're cause coming it, back. This, this is, Masks it,
0: on a plane. This isn't <laughs> us talking about political things. This is actually going to come back and and impact one of our stories. Yes, Drew, what's going on with your your flights? We we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, saying that you're going to try and get your private pilot's license.
1: Well, yeah, and I'm so prepared for this first flight to the point where Terry, my instructor, is like, "No, no, don't get too involved. Don't get too bogged down in the details on your first flight. Just." Enjoy kind of get a feel. Mm-hmm. So I know, I know the Piper Warrior cockpit now, like the palm of my hand. <laughs> yeah, and you yeah, have just wish I could get, get you in. Haven't it. been in
0: it yet. <laughs>
1: yeah, for the listeners, you guys, this is going to be so much fun because if I go through with it, we'll have to see. We'll see how the first flights go. We're gonna be talking about a Piper warrior checklist compared to a triple seven checklist. And it's probably, I don't even, I don't even know. It's probably easier on a triple. It probably is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it is not fair because I'm in the Piper warrior cockpit or flight deck, right? I haven't flown it, but I've sat in it. It's just a jumble of stuff. And what Doug has in a much more advanced aircraft that's carrying 200 people looks so easy. (laughs) It's not fair. (laughs) <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 it will be nice. It will be nice to start from the beginning where I have to prime the engine. You don't have to
0: prime the no, engine on a
1: triple seven. Yeah.
0: Well, t- tec- the fuel. technically, I, I flew a Max down here last night and we have to we have to motor the engine, but it does it automatically. Okay. It does it automatically. I just flip a, flip a switch and it it does it itself. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not there cranking anything like on your Piper Warrior. Right.
1: I'm just concerned, like, if I if I hear that it's stuttering, I'm going to be like, okay, is this engine okay?
0: <laughs> but, you know, that just might happen. Cha- all right. Change <laughs> the mixture. Really, that's all you have to do.
1: Well, so there's one airline, United, that's ordered, like, 25 of these Cirrus trainers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you seen these planes? Yeah, they it's look, like a BMW look beautiful. Inside. Why can't I have one of those? Because <laughs> you have to learn. <laughs> all right, Doug, so you flew into uh, Newark. Newark. You know, I'm expecting that you're going to tell me you had a beautiful landing at Newark because I saw that you landed on one of the runways where you see Manhattan on your left, right? Yeah. Apparently it was not that enjoyable. (laughs) What happened?
0: (laughs) No, we landed on, landed on two, two left, which if, if you guys look at a map right now, Newark is West of Manhattan by 15, 20 miles. And when you land on the two twos, you're basically coming down the river and Drew, you and I have seen this flying in as, as a passenger, You've got Manhattan mm-hmm. off to your left. It was right at sunset. Should have been really beautiful. And we were getting vectors. Normally, there is what's called a, a star. It's a standard arrival. And everyone flies this star. And it, it just leads right into whatever the approach is to the runway. And it makes it really easy for ATC. Everything is timed. You've got altitudes. You've got airspeeds. It, it's, it's an even flow coming in. And we were about oh, I don't know, 20, 25 miles from the end of this star and approach, New York approach, started vectoring people off of this star. We were one of the people who got vectored off. It was a right turn, then a left turn, then a right turn, zigzags, because everyone is coming in at the same time. Mm -hmm. You've got Lufthansa, you've got United Heavies, you've got SAS, you've got KLM, you've got all these people coming in from... Around what time is this? This was around four o'clock. The big big bang, not just yeah, that's prime time. Yeah, not not just domestic flights coming in. You've got the internationals. Everyone's getting mm-hmm. vectors. Everyone is getting told descend to this, slow to this speed. We we were twenty five miles from the field, configured at one hundred seventy knots, getting heading changes, and, and we're zigzagging. Oh wow! And then all all of a sudden, there was an airline. I'm not going to say who, what what airline <laughs> it was. They got a vector and they responded uh, to the vector and then their their microphone got stuck and we call that a stuck mic which means we could hear them breathing we could hear them talking mm-hmm. about at, at one point i heard one of the pilots go wow it's starting to look really green down there and the, and the other they, you, we hear their conversation uh-huh. in the cockpit that's a stuck mic and you can hear when 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 the mic is stuck you can hear people trying to talk it sounds like a, a screeching noise a, a Oh okay Otherwise, so
1: people do you know, get little
0: but but you can't hear what ATC is saying you you can hear that someone is trying to yell and, and trying to mm-hmm. say stuck mic stuck mic stuck mic and when when your mic is stuck you don't realize that it's stuck like you, you, you don't know. You key the mic and then Oh,
1: is that the guard you you were talking about? Some guard, guard. we we have the we have pressed? a
0: frequency. It's one twenty one point five, which is called guard. And you are uh, always we have we have two radios, you are always supposed to have guard on the other radio. For situations like that, for situations where maybe you don't hear the call from ATC telling you to switch to the next frequency. And if you get out Mm -hmm. of range where you can't hear the previous frequency anymore, whatever center or approach you're talking to, They'll call you on guard and they'll say flight number whatever contact mm-hmm. Kansas City Center on one twenty two point three or something like that.
1: Wait, so that's just an
0: extra frequency, an extra frequency, and everyone is on one twenty one point five and hold and oh. guard. Okay, I heard this stuck mic, and we were we were in like probably one of the worst positions because we were pointed directly at the city, and we should mm-hmm. have been turning to head towards the airport and we're, we're heading toward really bad. We're at an altitude where we're heading towards the city at a really bad point. I, I finally was like, okay, I'm going to, I told the captain, I'm going to call on guard. And I switched over to guard. And I said, stuck Mike on whatever the the approach frequency was a couple of times. And finally then uh, approach heard me say that and they came on guard and they said, everyone, there is a stuck mic on whatever their frequency was that they were talking to us. Check your frequency, and then it went away, and they and they were able to to vector everyone. All
1: aircraft are monitoring this guard frequency. Correct,
0: everyone. And okay, even so you in think your, that... even in your Piper Warrior, you'll be monitoring one twenty one guard frequency. and and that's that's the reason why we have it because if it wasn't okay. for that guard frequency, that airplane that had the stuck mic wouldn't have known it. Everyone is just now on these vectors heading off into who knows where that. Yeah, that's why it's called guard. And, and that's why it's so important.
1: Okay, so that that airplane in question, that flight in question probably heard that on guard or they just realized, oh, shoot, we mm-hmm. got stuck. Mic.
0: Yeah, the, it, my, my stuck guess is, they heard okay. it. yeah, my guess is they heard it on guard. So at that point, then we were like 25 miles north of Newark, north of Manhattan at this point, basically. So we had to get this this change vector. To head back to the airport, but which? So, did you get that vector on the guard frequency? We did. We got it on guard, and okay. then and then the stuck mic cleared out, and got approach it. went back to talking on their their normal frequency. Oh and and then the, what a
1: nightmare! Yeah,
0: and and the flight who had the stuck mic, they're not going to get in trouble for that. Like there, there's nothing. No, it's a mistake. Yeah, it's it's a mistake. It's it's something that happens with the airplane. Doug, I'm
1: surprised that we don't have a backup plan for that. Because they're stuck mics all the time. Mm-hmm. I would I would say, once every couple of weeks that happens and it messes everything up. You would think that there we would create some technology that would boot that would find who that is mm-hmm. and be able to take them off.
0: Yeah, as of, them or- as of right now, uh, it, as far as I understand it, air traffic control can't tell who's talking. Like if if I key the mic, I have to say I have to say my call sign because it it doesn't right. show on their display. Now, we, we do have what's called cell call, which is short for selective calling. And we, and we use that for when we're doing oceanic flights so that we don't have to listen to the HF radios, the, the static. Every airplane has their own individual code and air traffic control can ping you. And it, think of it like a pager. We, we've, got the, we've got the radio on silent. We're not listening to anything. And if air traffic control needs to talk to us, they page us. And there's a light that lights up in the cockpit that says air traffic control is calling. We'll then go to the frequency and say our, our call sign, we were, we were getting a cell call. What do you need? And they'll tell us what it is. So if they can figure out a way, like you said, to have it where, where, Air traffic control can tell who's talking and can tell who has a stuck mic. Mm-hmm. Well and, and right associate know, that stuck mic with a transponder code or some yes, just like you exactly. said, a way to ping them. Yes, exactly. I can tell you though, there there is technology now where in certain certain countries they're they're using this. In the US, we're using it within certain air traffic con- control sectors, Indy, Indianapolis Center, Cleveland Center are using this new technology where we actually use CPDLC. We use text instead of voice, meaning as soon yeah. as we check in with that center, we log into CPDLC and we don't actually talk to anyone. We, we accept mm-hmm. it on CPDLC. They tell us what frequency to change to. And by us saying accept, that is telling air traffic control that we've gotten the message. We know who we're supposed to be listening to, what radio we're supposed to be tuned into, what frequency so that if they do need to contact us, they can call us. But we don't actually talk to anyone. We, we might fly through Indy Center, not saying a single word on the radio to a human because we're, we're texting with them.
1: So is that pretty recent?
0: It is. The CPDLC? It's, well, C, CPDLC is not. No, CPDLC is a late 80s technology. But okay. it's recent that air traffic control is actually using it for domestic operations it it was well the other thing the other thing we have is the silent push mm -hmm. that's recent right where you you're
1: at the gate and you're calling for push clearance but now there's silent push with several towers every every hub
0: every hub that i go to i use that except except for certain yeah except for certain gates like in in san francisco a couple gates in chicago where you actually push Mm -hmm. back onto an active taxiway we don't use the silent push because we have to call ground but the majority of the gates, right. yeah. In in the A system, I just go in and type in RP for request push. Hit send. I'm monitoring the air traffic control ramp frequency on VHF, mm-hmm. and they I type it in. Say RP send. They call me back within like two seconds with my call sign and tell me that I'm clear to push, and that clears up. All kinds of of chatter on the radio. And and Drew, actually, here's another really good example of of how this is useful. I get my air traffic control clearance. Like last night, let's say I was flying Newark to Fort Myers. I log in on CPDLC to air air traffic control and I get my clearance. I get my entire route clearance with a message. I, I don't actually talk to anyone. And in the past, you had to call what was called clearance delivery to get your to get right. your clearance. Certain parts mm-hmm. of the world do not use the data yet to, to give a clearance. In Cancun, for instance, they don't have data capabilities. So I have to call clearance delivery. And the clearance delivery person in Cancun is the same person who's mm-hmm. talking on the ground frequency. So if you're down wow. there at at a time when 20 airplanes at four different terminals are all trying to push, are all trying to get their clearance. We pushed 25 minutes late a couple weeks ago, like 25 minutes after our scheduled departure time, because I was trying to get my clearance. I couldn't even get my air traffic control clearance. Then once I finally did, then I'm waiting for everyone else to get their clearance. I'm waiting for everyone else to call to push. Everyone is stepping all over each other on the radios. That's that's why this, this data plan, if you can call it that, really frees up all, all the radios. And, and we are moving into that technology. Sorry, that was a very long, yeah, the- very long winded discussion about this, which I apologize.
1: No, that's okay. Some of these clearances are very complicated. So I could see that taking a long time and you have to write it down. And then there's human error writing it down, and then they have to repeat it. This is where aviation is still old fashioned in a lot of ways, right? I mean, that would seem obvious that you would get it electronically. Mm-hmm. But Oh, well, we'll get there. All right, Doug, we got to get back into politics. I'm sorry. I mean, it's just it's just hitting the fan right now, you know, and things are changing every day. It's kind of scary. The Russian invasion of the Ukraine is continuing. The Ukrainians are holding them back miraculously, this small country. We don't know where this is going to go, but we we are going to talk about it from an aviation perspective. We're not experts on geopolitics, but when they affect aviation, we have to discuss them. And once in a while, we have to take a stand. This invasion of Ukraine by Russia is wrong. It needs to stop and Russia must withdraw. The world community led by the West and being joined by the UN and more and more Asian nations, Japan, Korea and Singapore and Taiwan, for example, rightly supports Ukraine. We hope this can be resolved with sanctions and other pressures on Russia's President Putin. Some of that includes
0: airspace closures to Russian aircraft and other sanctions. Where are we with that, Doug? The list is changing daily, but so far the following countries have closed their airspace to Russian aircraft The U.S. and all of EU countries, Switzerland, the U.K. and Canada, other aviation and travel related actions against Russia include Delta Airlines has canceled its code sharing agreement with Aeroflot, which happened before the airspace closure even. It'll be interesting to see because Aeroflot's in in SkyTeam. It'll be interesting to see if SkyTeam itself comes out and suspends them or, or kicks Aeroflot out. Boeing suspended Moscow Engineering Center and halted support to Russian airlines. The EU has an export ban on all aircraft, spare parts, and equipment to Russian airlines. The U.S. has restricted the export of high-end technologies to Russia, targeting its defense and aerospace industries. Japan, South Korea, Singapore, and Taiwan have also sanctioned Russia with tighter control of military and technology exports. Norwegian Cruise Lines removed St. Petersburg, Russia from its cruise itineraries other cru- cruise lines are also avoiding Russia. Popular travel writer Rick Steves is canceling all 2022 tours to Russia, saying, "When we bring travelers to Russia, we also bring their dollars—dollars dollars that would support Putin's aggression." Drew, it's it's sad to see what's going on, especially for the people of Ukraine. But I would I will mm-hmm. say it's good to see the world response to this.
1: Yeah, I was concerned. It's only the West. China has remained mostly silent, but these other Asian countries are taking a stand, mm-hmm. and that's good. I haven't seen if Australia and New Zealand are doing anything, but they're all part of the UN, and the UN is firmly behind Ukraine. I, You know, we can't let one country just walk into another country and take it over, and that's what we're seeing happening, but does the world want to get into a world war? Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone has the appetite for that, but I will say, these sanctions, I was concerned if they would work. I think they are working because they are really cracking down. Aviation. We talked about aviation, but just today I'm hearing that uh, the oligarchs, the oligarchs control Russia. There's about a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. They're billionaires. Old, it's old they're money. Tightening, mm-hmm. It's old money. Now they're tightening the screws. So if an oligarch has to lose their yacht, that's pretty big. Yeah. So there, there was a yacht. That <laughs> was they're going to be It's
0: like, Hey, help. Yeah. A yacht in France was seized overnight. Apparently it was in for heavy maintenance and they're trying to get it worthy enough Seaworthy enough to to sail today or in the next couple of days just to get it out of france i also read that aeroflot some of their airplanes are leased and they're registered mm-hmm. in the eu and the the wow. lessors have canceled the leases and their their re- airplane repo for aeroflot aeroflot yeah. is losing part of its its leased fleet because these countries are saying that yeah, we're, we're no longer doing business with you
1: yeah and did isn't it crazy that I, th- I haven't done the research on the Aeroflot fleet, but it looks like almost their whole fleet are Western aircraft. Yeah, but m- they're not
0: going to be able to get parts. Most or- of their Russian built aircraft are, are not retired.
1: Are not retired. Right. Right. So Aeroflot is flying triple sevens, A350s, 737s. It's a, you know, purely Western fleet, which they're not going to be able to
0: continue to maintain unless they start making parts themselves. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Drew, one one last thing before we move on to our other news topics this week, and I I know that we recorded just a real quick middle of the night segment that we added like on on the end of of last episode. L- listeners actually let us know if yep. you like that because if if you do, we can maybe keep doing that if news things change after we record and edit.
1: I think we should, and you know, Aaron mentioned that because the news weren't it's not right mm-hmm. up to date because we take a few days before, and I, and I liked your quick updates. Yeah. There.
0: The AN-225, we still, I'm getting mixed news articles, I guess, saying whether the AN-225 was destroyed or or it wasn't. It sounds like the the country of Ukraine, it was their official Twitter channel, said that the AN-225 was destroyed, but we, we still haven't seen pictures, independent verification that it was. But if if this is the case, and again, I know there is the there is a human element to this, and I, I've seen on social media a lot of people are complaining about Av Geeks complaining about the AN225 getting destroyed, right. saying that there's so much more. I, I I understand that we are an aviation podcast though, so this is what we're going to talk about. If this is the case, Drew, that that, that just goes to show that there is so with war, there is so much collateral damage that is not necessary. Within within this, there was no reason Mm -hmm. for that airport to get attacked. There was no reason for that airplane to get blown up as it supposedly was. It was it was sitting there for maintenance. It was doing absolutely nothing. What why did the An 225 get caught up? In this.
1: No, I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm seeing that are war crimes. I mean, it's not just these aircraft, it's it's now apartment buildings, mm-hmm. right? They're attacking civilians. So, this is from the Antonov Company. This is two hours ago. So, they've been tweeting about this. So, they're saying currently, until the AN 225 has been inspected by experts, we cannot report on the technical condition of the aircraft. Go so on, Antonov Company, they're, they've been. Tweeting out what's going on.
0: I, I would say let, let's move on to something that doesn't have to do with this and our news topics. But our first news topic actually <laughs> directly <laughs> relates to it. Speaking of airspace closures, we've seen at least one occurrence of a Russian aircraft overflying restricted airspace. Other flights have been turned away. This article is from Reuters. Two Russian planes rerouted after attempting to enter Canadian airspace. Canada banned Russian planes from entering its airspace starting last Sunday. The same day, an Aeroflot flight, SU-111, violated the ban after declaring itself as a humanitarian flight. Under normal circumstances, Canada's air traffic control service, NAV Canada, does not have the authority to deny airspace access to an aircraft declaring itself a humanitarian flight. NAV Canada, along with the regular Transport Canada, has issued a directive to all air traffic control units to deny all Russian airplanes access to their airspace. The only exception to this ban is a prior approval by Transport Canada. Two Russian flights attempting to enter Canadian airspace on Monday were rerouted by the FAA after the planes identified themselves as humanitarian flights, Canadian Air Traffic Control Services said. Drew, <laughs> we were f- literally, to the minute, you and I and Watching our AvGeek friends, we were following <laughs> these.
1: We were following these. And, you know, we were following the aircraft before the Canadian ban, right? The day mm-hmm. of the band. They flew to Punta Cana and Cancun over Canada. And then you and I were discussing how are these planes going to get back? One of our ideas was they would fly west. You said they would fly west to Vladivostok, refuel, mm-hmm. continue to Moscow. But then we both looked at it and we're like, I think they can make it because you were saying it's about 7,300 nautical miles if they go, if they fly over the Atlantic Ocean and then go they go over Finland and mm-hmm. Sweden and then south. That's exactly what they did. This is where the A 900 and the triple seven three hundred ER. This is where those are the only two aircraft that work. And a few airlines have the triple seven two hundred LR. Doug, did you know that that has a nine thousand nautical I mile do. range?
0: Yeah, it's, it's nuts.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's very few aircraft that can do it. And to this day, what is today? Today is uh, Thursday, right? They're still flying Punta Cana to Moscow on a crazy routing. Mm-hmm. But back to SU-111, they're investigating. So, Doug, did you know that Transport Canada, that's a private company. So, I'm sorry. No, no.
0: Nav, Nav, Nav Can, Canada, yeah.
1: Yeah, is a private company. So, Canada has a third party doing their their ATC. Transport Canada, which is the government body, is investigating Nav Canada to see how this happened. You were saying it's partially our fault. It's partially the U.S. fault because our controllers handed them over to Nav Canada. Mm-hmm. But if they were telling everyone they were a humanitarian flight, maybe that's how they made an exception.
0: SU111 was Miami to Moscow, and let, let's I, I guess talk about the the timeline of this. SU111 mm-hmm. Miami to Moscow took off before Cancun to Moscow, and took off before Punta Cana to Moscow. So we were okay. we were following the. Actually, let, let's back it up even a little bit further. We were following Punta Cana. The, I think. the Moscow to JFK flight was Mid Atlantic. When the sanctions came down and the airspace closures happened, it turned around and it went back to Moscow. We saw that that, yep. that happened. Then Miami took off. Then the Punta Cana flight took off and then Cancun took off. So we were following all three of these and, and we knew that Canada had closed its airspace. The U.S. had not done so yet. And we, we were watching like live, basically live streaming <laughs> as this airplane mm-hmm. passed into Canadian airspace in Maine. And and Drew, you you and I were talking about it. We said, how is this possible? And then we saw the Punta Cana flight hug the basically the coast of Nova Scotia, the coast of Mm -hmm. of Newfoundland, and then went up over the pole. The Cancun flight flew up the U.S. East Coast and then followed the exact same route to Moscow. And even after that, we didn't know yet about the humanitarian thing. And that was where I said, Because you you were saying Canada is responsible for this. And I said, well, we're partially culpable, too, because Boston Center handed off this airplane to probably Moncton. I I think it's Moncton is is the first Canadian center that they would have talked to in in that region. That's partially Mm -hmm. our fault, too, knowing that this airspace is closed. But then it came out that it was a humanitarian flight. I didn't know about that until after I'd made the comment saying that.
1: And we don't, there's planes. no, so Transport Canada is not confirming that it was a humanitarian flight. So they're looking into it. But, you know, you're talking about the handoff. So the FAA did reroute two other planes. Mm-hmm. So, you mm-hmm. know, it's yet to be seen what was different about this. Maybe it was humanitarian, Doug, this SU 111. It also flew through, flew over Finland Sweden. and Sweden. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm, know if I'm getting wondering... rich
0: Russians to back to, to Moscow is a humanitarian. Yeah, I'm, I'm like... wondering if they're saying humanitarian because they're getting people home and it, it could be considered like a, a quote unquote refugee type thing.
1: Right. But then why wouldn't the other
0: airplanes use that too? Mm-hmm. you know, the other. Flights? Yeah, well, I think it, they probably they knew that the word probably got back to the pilots saying that SU-111 was able to fly through restricted airspace by using the humanitarian tag. And the other airplanes tried it. And f- at that point, then the US and Canada got smart to the fact that they were, they were trying to save save fuel, trying to, to do a faster route.
1: Yeah, you know, this is all it's coming full circle from your pictures from your trips, because you were sending me, you know, Aeroflot coming into Cancun. I think you were in Cancun. Yeah, I didn't know Cancun was such a big destination. For Europeans. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah, Can we move to some better news, Yeah, Doug? We'll move to news. <laughs> Nigeria may have a national carrier again. So this story is from the Business Insider. Nigeria gives new date for the launch of its much anticipated national airline. Nigeria is the biggest economy in Africa and that country have, has not had a national airline since 2003 when the now defunct Nigeria Airways ceased to exist. So Nigeria's much anticipated Nigeria Air. That is hard to say. They <laughs> might want to Think about the name. Nigeria Air will finally launch in 2023, according to the West African country's Infrastructure Concession Regulatory Commission. (laughs) That's the ICRC. (laughs) At the moment, the country is the only leading economy in Sub Saharan Africa that does not have a national airline. This is unlike Ethiopia, Kenya, and South Africa, whose national carriers are among the leading airlines in Africa. So the government created an aviation leasing company and will initially lease aircraft from international lessers before subleasing them to Nigerian carriers. This long-term plan is to purchase its own aircraft to lease carriers directly. I, I'm kind of laughing a little bit because there's nothing, there's nothing firm about this at all. Mm. We don't know what kind of aircraft. We don't know what the routes are. It just seems like a, a wish. But, you know, being the biggest economy in Africa, they should have an airline. They have plenty of money in that country.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and where they're located geographically too is not as good as like a, a European hub when, when you're talking about east to west flows, but being in, in mm-hmm. Western Africa, you could get people flying from the US or Mexico or Canada, South America to Europe, to India, to the Far East. That that could be another like we talked about with Ethiopia, that could be another yep. stopping point for people in, in that flow. Drew, do you remember Virgin Nigeria?
1: Well, yeah, I kind of have a history of Nigerian airlines, real quick. Okay, Nigeria, their first airline called was called West African Airways Corporation, 1958 to 1971, and it was renamed Nigeria Airways in 2003. And then, Doug, um, Richard Branson mm-hmm. tried his hand at Nigerian yep. aviation with. Uh, Virgin Nigeria it only lasted 4 years 2004 to 2008 because um he was complaining about corruption he said something didn't go right and they were smashing their their club their Virgin Virgin Nigeria club in Lagos and then 2000 to 2012 I don't I didn't even know this there was Nigerian Eagle Airways and then they folded in 2012 so hopefully this new one will work. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I, I didn't know about that new one, but I do remember the the Virgin Nigeria and it had the, the same <laughs> the same livery. It's so low budget, it just had some green. Yeah, yeah, but but it had like the, the Virgin, it had the Virgin logo on the tail, just like Virgin Australia, yeah. just like Virgin Atlantic. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I don't know in what way, I mean, just some green accents and all of a sudden it's Virgin Nigeria. Mm-hmm. I think they were using their older A340s
0: they were, and I, th- I think they in. had A320s as well for some domestic things. But yeah, if, if this, going back to this new airline, if this new airline actually becomes a thing and, and they're able to figure out this leasing and, and branding and create this airline, I, I, we, we've talked about how aviation is expanding substantially around the world. And the fact that the lar- Nigeria is, what, the fifth largest country in the world, fourth largest country in the world in terms of population. Yeah, and Lagos is a
1: huge, it's millions of people. I don't know the number, yeah, but it's, it's
0: ten, ten many ten times larger than D.C. or
1: San exactly. Francisco. Exactly, it's like Lagos. 10
0: plus million people. And yeah. as, as the world gets out of poverty and, and these millions of people a year start to move out of poverty, and we, we talked about how in China there were millions of people a year who flew for the first time millions mm-hmm. who flew for the for the first time every single year yeah nigeria is going to be the same indonesia is going to be the same these massive countries that now are having a, a growth in e- economies people are moving out of poverty people are flying people are traveling like this this might be huge for the aviation sector and for well yeah. Boeing and airbus right
1: i hope exactly i, I hope nigeria catches a break so their economy is growing again. And with the rise in oil prices, that is going to help them because that's their major export. But Doug, you know, on top of that, this country is, the people are very educated. Mm-hmm. They speak English. They're pretty cosmopolitan. So, you know, they just need a break so that they can grow. I mean, it, really, their airline should be, if they had an airline, has has the ability to be the largest in Africa. if They can, you know, take care of their economic issues. Yeah. But, you know, in the meantime, our airline is flying there. So maybe I shouldn't complain that there's no (laughs)
0: Nigerian airline. (laughs) And we're doing pretty well. Well, even when this launches, well, I'm I'm sure we'll continue flying there because it's, as you said, Lagos is tens of millions of people and there will continue to be an appetite for nonstop flights there. Well, we, so. we started this episode with an update on airspace closures driven by the attack in Ukraine. Airspace closures due to politics aren't new, so let's review the major ones that we've seen in the past few years. In 2017, the UAE, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Bahrain cut ties with Qatar for allegedly supporting its Islamist militants and Iran. Qatar Airways was banned from flying over their airspace. Qatar sued saying Qatar Airways has lost hundreds of millions of dollars due to the restrictions. In 2021, the countries reconciled and Qatar dropped their lawsuit. Then in 2019, Pakistani airspace was closed to India for five months. Pakistan shut its airspace after India carried out an airstrike against what it said was a terrorist training camp in Pakistani territory. The attack in Balakot was in retaliation for a suicide bombing in Indian-administered Kashmir that killed more than 40 Indian soldiers and was claimed by a Pakistani militant group. Pakistan responded by shooting down an Indian fighter jet. The aerial attacks brought the countries to the brink of war. Drew, that this isn't anything new that we're seeing.
1: No, and this is pretty heavy stuff, but we, we should just do a quick history lesson. These rules were established in 1944 at the Chicago Convention, which established ICAO. Mm-hmm. This is what it says officially. Every state has, to the exclusion of other states, the unilateral and absolute right to permit or deny entry into the area recognized as the territory as its territory and similar rights to control all movements within such territory. But on top of that, Doug, there exists something I didn't even know about this. There exists something called the International Air Services Transit Agreement, IASTA. That is basically we talk about the freedoms, fifth freedom. This is the first freedom. The first freedom is to fly over another country. Almost all airlines are signatories of this agreement, including Russia, India, and Pakistan. But then it, it all gets messed up when they have these conflicts. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you have the freedom to fly over other countries that have
0: signed this agreement. I have a feeling, and we talked about how Crimea and East Ukraine has been closed to, to most airlines since 2014, since the Malaysian shoot down so as long as there is stuff going on on the ground in ukraine no airlines are going to want to put their passengers in harm's way or or fly anywhere close to that airspace
1: india has been silent during this conflict and i wish they would take a stand they are the largest democracy in Mm -hmm. the world and they haven't said anything you know and and it it's important because if the world doesn't say anything these things are going to continue happening Mm -hmm. so our airline Mm -hmm. has to take this horrible route now to get from New York to India, and I was just looking. We're flying like straight, straight east. It's very complicated, and it adds an hour to two hours to the yeah. flight time. It's it's going it's weight
0: restrictions. Yeah, it's it's going across the Med, uh, across Israel, and and that way. Mm-hmm. Which, if you look at a great circle route, it should go up over the pole through Russia, possibly through Ukraine.
1: Right, and these flights were thirteen hour. They're thirteen hour flights to begin with. Now we're pushing fourteen hours. Pushing the limits of a triple seven three hundred. Meanwhile, Air India is flying over Russia like nothing happened. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some of these routes aren't economical anymore. Airlines are discontinuing some of these routes, and it's it's sad. And people are. I spoke to someone at work who was going to India, and he was saying, "No, they're canceling their trip because now, with uh, some of these cancellations, it's going to be so difficult
0: to get Mm -hmm. there." Yeah, it's it's unfortunate. Well, we talked last week about high winds and how it affects our operation in the air and on the ground. Let's finish up with a discussion on which runways we use based on winds, traffic flow and air traffic control. Drew, before we get into your experience from an airport ops perspective, did you do any Mm -hmm. research on why airports set up the runways the way that they do?
1: Did I do some research? Yes. (laughs) And it was a muddle. It was a mess. It is is a mess. Half of my day... I basically came up with, no, there's no rhyme or reason. Because, you know, ideally the runways are chosen for aeronautical Mm -hmm. needs, for my needs and your needs. And this is traffic flows or the wind. But then you get (laughs) civics involved. You get county planners involved. You get politicians involved.
0: And overflight, things like that.
1: Yeah. Exactly. And then what happens is you end up with, my airport, <laughs> where the prevailing winds are from the west, but the runways are north south. Every other week, we're dealing with a single runway operation because we only have one runway that's east west. And with crosswinds, we can't use the other three that we normally mm-hmm. use. But basically, you know, I had to come up with a summary of why things are the way they are. Traffic flows, most of my traffic flows in DC are north south, and the runways are north south. So when it's calm winds, calm winds, correct me if I'm wrong, five knots or mm-hmm. less, right? Would you say calm yeah. winds?
0: But but I, I would say even even if the crosswinds are less than say 15 20 knots, which is 99% nine, oh, yeah. of the time. Right. You, even landing in a 20 knot crosswind, that that's we don't bad eye for that. Like that that's, that's normal. Oh, yeah.
1: No, that's a good point. We don't go to a single runway operation landing northwest if the northwest winds are 25 knots, we're still landing on the parallels. When we get to 35 knots, we might go to a single which, runway Which is operation.
0: probably pretty rare. Like fr- from a a 365-day perspective, that probably only happens to you, what, seven days maybe? One, like total. Oh, during the year? During the year, yeah. Oh, no, it probably happens more. It probably happens once a month. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, well still, one, one, once a month. Yeah, it's, it, it's more stress for you with single runway ops, but that's one out of 30 days. That's 3% of the time.
1: right. Well, and the other thing is if you look at Washington and Dulles, we are to the to the west of Washington DC. So if you did have east-west runways, that arrival flight path is going to go right over Washington DC so a lot, of, you know, a lot of restricted airspace there. And also the approach and departure for DCA, you'd be conflicting with that. You know, there's other things, but I looked at um, you know, looking at other airports, your airport runway uh, the 28s are heading west and you guys are almost always landing on the two ways. it's very rare that you land the opposite way because the prevailing winds are from there lax doug the spotters love it because the planes are always landing towards the ocean so you get the good views of the planes gliding in looked into it five percent only five percent of the time is lax landing over the ocean
0: going east I, i've done i've done that and after midnight is when it switches to east flow, and that's just for noise restrictions. So at, no. as you mentioned, the, the city planners set up the airports in certain ways as well. A lot of that is is based on noise complaints, noise restrictions for the airport. Uh, one, one thing, and, and this isn't a correction to what you said, it's more of an addendum. The, the prevailing winds in the U.S. are west to east. Think of it this way, that is at altitude. Our storm systems move in from the west and they move across the U.S. to the east. With the jet stream. With the jet stream. Mm -hmm. But you have highs and you have lows. And and what these are, a low is a bad weather system. A high is a good weather system. It spins like a hurricane. So you have Mm -hmm. a low that spins counterclockwise and a high Mm -hmm. spins clockwise. So as the prevailing winds at altitude are moving this low across the country, you're going to have half of half of that low, it's going to be east to west winds because of yeah. the, the direction that it's coming from. The other half right. is going to be west to east. So that's why if you have a place, I don't know, some airport like Chicago, where most of the runways are east-west. Half the time I'm landing to the east in Chicago, half the time I'm landing to the west in Chicago, even though the prevailing winds at altitude are almost always west to east. That's just Mm -hmm. based on where the low is centered and where those prevailing winds on the ground are coming from.
1: You're landing. Wait, wait, stop. So you're landing half and half, east or west in Chicago? Because it feels yeah, like I'm I, always
0: landing west over the over the uh, the Great Lakes. Over the Great Lakes, yeah. No, I, I would say probably half the time I've landed to the to the east in Chicago. Wow, and, okay. and that's just that's just based on again where, where the where the winds are coming from with those s- storm systems as they pass, and then you have a an airport like Dallas, which is north north south runways, even though our prevailing winds are west to east, because where Dallas sits the low pressure systems usually pass to the north of dallas meaning sometimes they get north flow sometimes they get south flow based on where those winds are coming from there's a lot more than go that goes into this than just where the winds aloft the east west because from that from that logic we would think every runway in every city should be east west facing but it's it's not yeah. like that and you mentioned la and san francisco being on the coast you get those onshore breezes, which rarely ever change, which is why you're mm-hmm. always or almost always landing on the two eights in San Francisco. You're yep. always landing on the two, the fours two four and, two, and fives. The two fives in Los Angeles, except for nighttime. Cause for whatever reason, the winds, the winds are strong during the day and they calm mm-hmm. in Los Angeles and they calm down at night, which is why we're able to actually land to the East at night in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, I will tell you, Doug, our um, controllers at Dulles, they do an awesome job. So normally it's calm winds, mm-hmm. right? What we were talking about, 20 knots and less. You know, we're going to use the runways that are best for traffic flows. So we have our European arrivals that come in around two o'clock from the north, and they'll be using our southbound runways, runways 1-9, left, center, and right. And then for the departures, we'll be using the opposite directions and going north and then for your flights to San Francisco and L.A., we'll use runway 30, mm-hmm. which is uh, northwest facing. So it's a nice flow. When it's calm winds, it works awesome. But when it's not, you know, we need we have to do adjustments, but that's where we get paid the big bucks. I wanted to ask you, when you are set up on an approach and they change the runway configuration, how difficult is that for you on the flight deck to change Everything.
0: It depends on when it happens. If if we're and Denver is notorious for this. Denver is one of the worst places that we go to where one hour it might be north flow and the next hour it's south flow. And it, which which is frustrating for us because it it does take a lot of work to to reset up the approach, because we have to brief the approach, we have to set it up in the airplane, we have to get ready for it, we have to look at notes that might be associated with it. If it happens yeah. at at cruise altitude, an hour before the, our approach, that's totally fine. Like, okay, they okay. the runway, easy. I, I can I can change it. It's when we are lower to the ground, running a lot of checklists, trying to safely operate the airplane, switching controllers quite a bit, changing altitudes quite a bit. If they flip the if they flip the airport at that point. That creates yeah. a lot of stress for us. Well,
1: sometimes do you need to ask for a vector to have time to reconfigure? I have,
0: I have had, yeah, a, a couple of times I've, I've had to do that. And where, yeah. where it gets frustrating or confusing or stressful too is going into certain airports where we don't know what runway we're going to until we talk to approach. You, you have, a, I mentioned the star, the standard arrival, like we'll, we'll use Dulles, for example. Dulles has three parallel runways and approaches to all of those three runways. And I've landed on all three of those north-south runways. But we don't know what, what runway we're going to. We we have an idea of what makes sense based on the gate that we're going to. But, that, but do
1: you know at least if it's north or, uh, north or we south? Configuration? We, we know if
0: it's north or south flow. But if we're not getting our runway assignment until we're in the descent, we, we have to have it set up in the box. And we have to have an idea of where we're going. When we check in with approach, then they're like, hey, you're going to 1-9-right. If we had planned for 1-9 left or 1-9 center, then all of a sudden we have to pull up the new approach, set it up in the box, rebrief it. That creates a level of stress as well.
1: I mean, as you're telling me this, I'm looking, I've am looking. i already read the, like the approach checklist or the landing checklist for the Piper Warrior. Mm-hmm. The good thing is that at the airport that I'm flying out of, there's no tower. So I'll just be deciding myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be my worst enemy. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we got to get back to mass real quick before we finish up. Because there's some, there's some big things going on that I didn't even realize, you know, until we started doing the topics for this episode. We think it's going to take forever for masks to come down in aviation, right, Doug? Maybe not. Jet2, have you heard of this airline? It's a low fare airline. In the I, UK. I have. So they became the first airline in the UK to remove mandatory mask wearing for most flights this week. The UK government removed most COVID-19 legal restrictions. Other UK airlines have been slow to react. Some airports are beginning to remove requirements and switch to guidance instead. For example, Manchester Airport says that it strongly recommends the wearing of face coverings in all parts of the airport. However, London Heathrow still insists wearing a mask covering will still be required whilst... (laughs)
0: whilst I love that. <laughs> that's very British yeah
1: <laughs> whilst in our terminals, unless you are exempt, there is still a u.s federal mask mandate in place for airline passengers that's due to run out March 18th in just a few weeks, a couple weeks. There has been no announcement of an intention to extend that mandate.
0: I was actually talking with my captain about this last night over during mm-hmm. at the hotel. i I need to look this up because initially the mask mandate went through September of last year. And then it was extended to March 18th. The question that I brought up last night was how far before the previous date did it get extended? Okay. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because we're we're coming up on March 18th. March 18th is in two weeks and we haven't heard anything about it. I want to say, I, I I want to say I remember the mask mandate in September getting extended several weeks before we several reached weeks. that date. I don't okay. think that it was pushing up against the timeline. So maybe mm-hmm. that's a sign that, that our government is considering not extending it.
1: We're going to have to have an update on the story next week because they could lift it. And I think you mentioned on a previous episode, some of the crews may have a real problem with this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, especially
0: the flight attendants. Who there are- was an article that I sent you about the TAP Portugal CEO, just last month, said that right. Said saying it. forever, <laughs> they think they think that and and believe that it should be forever. That mask mandates should last forever. And I, I brought this up because you've got you've got tap tap is in star. Let's say that you're flying on Lufthansa, and you buy a yeah. ticket on Lufthansa to Lisbon, but it's mm-hmm. operated as a code share by Tap Air Portugal from Frankfurt. And if Lufthansa Mm -hmm. has, has lifted their mask mandates, and you buy it on Lufthansa, and you are a German citizen, and you are Mm -hmm. used to flying on Lufthansa without a mask, and all of a sudden you show up on a tap air Portugal, who, who says no, masks are still required. That's going to lead to a lot of issues around the world. Yeah, I mean,
1: let's just before we continue on. So we're doing a lot of history lessons in this episode on international flights. We're talking about international flights. The Tokyo Convention. We talked about the Chicago Convention. Now let's go to the Tokyo Convention of 1963. Doug, that makes it clear that the state of registration of an aircraft has the authority to apply its laws to events occurring on board its aircraft. If the country of Germany has lifted their mask mandate on a Lufthansa flight between San Francisco and Frankfurt, officially, you shouldn't have to wear a mask unless the airline itself has a specific requirement. It's going to be, and you know, the, so this UK, back to the UK, British Airways has not lifted their mask mandate. And I can completely understand. How do you enforce that when a lot of their, most of their customers are going to be connecting from foreign countries where there is a mask mandate and now they're connecting to someplace else in England and you don't have, it's it's impossible to manage.
0: I'm looking up an article. I found an answer to what I was asking about the, the mask mandate in the U.S., on April 30th of last year, TSA announced that they were extending the mask mandate to September 13th, 2021. On August 20th, 2021, TSA extended that to March 18th. So from August 20th to uh, September 13th, that's 23 days. Okay. They extended the mask mandate 23 days before it was Three weeks. to expire. We're oh. already, right now it's the 2nd of March. And it's going mm-hmm. to expire on the 18th. So we're, we're at 16 days. So we're already inside that window when they last extended it. Maybe that's a good sign. We put a, a poll out to our listeners uh, about whether they, they think that the mask mandate should go away or it shouldn't. Let's see what they said before we debate our own choices. We said the UK has relaxed mask mandates and Jet 2 is allowing masks to come off in most flights. The mandate expires in the U.S. on March 18th. There's no announcement of an extension. Your thoughts on masks on airplanes? 65% overwhelmingly, 65% said goodbye masks. 30% said I'm still wearing one. And 5% said I'll wear one in the economy. This is bigger than the airlines. This is a societal
1: thing, right? It's personal choice. Before I discuss mine, there was recently in our country, there was a governor of one of our states who was at some speaking engagement at a school. And the kids, I guess they're teenagers behind him, they were all wearing masks. And he kind of yelled at them, take off the mask, they don't do anything. Almost all of them took off the mask, one or two kept them on, but that's a personal, this is my feeling. My feeling is once the mandates expire, you still want to keep your mask off wherever, on a plane, in a store, that's up to you. You shouldn't be judged for that. What did I choose on this? I was in the minority. So I, I put that I would wear one in economy because you're so close to the other person. If I'm in a pod in business class, or I'm in a first class seat with a lot of room, and I'm not required to wear a mask, I, I don't think I will wear one. What will you do?
0: I probably won't because I've I've had both vaccines. I've been boosted. I, I'm i pretty sure I've probably had COVID at some point too. So I've got both natural immunity and vaccination immunity. Yeah, I, I haven't really slowed down what I'm doing in life. I'm living life at, with, with certain restrictions, I guess, but mm-hmm. as if it's 2019 and that that's my own personal level of risk that I'm willing to take. And right. if, if someone next to me is wearing a mask, I'm not, I, I won't be offended by that. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. their personal risk that, that they'll take. Right. I won't be offended. And, and we we talked about this several times on the show about how Asian countries it wasn't uncommon to see people wearing masks pre COVID. And, and that's just, a, again, kind of a, a personal tolerance, a, a personal risk tolerance that people are willing to take.
1: Steve Tao, one of our listeners and friends, he said, I don't trust anyone. Masks still on for me. Martin Hammer, he's in Switzerland. He said, I do believe you should differentiate the poll, one for Europeans, one for Americans and one for Asians. The results might actually be quite different. In Switzerland, the mask mandate in stores dropped a week ago so a day later no one was wearing them anymore Mm. also at work while not on the aircraft it always feels a bit weird to have the discussion to wear or not wear the mask if close by i personally, this he's a flight attendant i personally will continue to wear it despite being boosted and all and passengers passenger wise i think it'll stay for a few more months to a year I think he's right. I think people will continue. Most passengers, even though the mask mandate will be lifted, I think more than half the passengers will continue to wear it just out of habit and out of concern. You but think I think that, by the time we get to the fall, I think people are
0: going to be more relaxed. I think it'll be less. If, if it's lifted. I think it'll be less than half. I, I, I think it'll be probably more like a quarter, honestly. Okay. One comment. Uh, I'm going yeah. to comment to Steve Tao. Mm-hmm. he said he'll continue to wear a mask. My question to him is, will he continue to wear a mask or will he continue to wear a eye mask? But what? An eye mask? Do you remember? Oh, yeah. because <laughs> right. Because when, when we did Northern flights to Alaska and yeah, yeah. Steve was on the flight with us, he was wearing uh-huh. an eye mask from a, a amenity kit as his as a as face his mask. <laughs> yeah. It's his face mask. <laughs> and we were all like, Steve, are you wearing an eye mask? He's like, yeah, yeah. but what else am I going to do with it? <laughs>
1: This is in progress if this is going to happen in about two weeks. We'll talk about this again on next week's episode with an update. Doug, we got some good listener comments from the last two episodes. Flight deck, we had a discussion of uh, the term flight deck. Paul pointed out, FYI, 757s have a step down to the flight deck. A
0: step down? Uh, I remember Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah you were saying you don't. Mm-hmm. it doesn't feel right calling it a flight deck deck if it's on the same level as the passenger cabin. But on a 57, it's a different level. So that, that makes sense. This is interesting. FOD, I'm thinking we're all messing up by, some people think it's foreign object or debris. At the airlines, we term it as foreign object damage, even for the object that is causing the damage, which I always thought was wrong, because that's the cause. That's not the actual substance. Charlie in Seattle sent us a link to a Boeing document that identifies FOD as foreign object debris. That goes against... The argument that it stands for foreign object damage but reading these articles from lockheed martin boeing and i think i also read something from nasa or the faa mm-hmm. you can use either term foreign object or debris for the listeners is not wrong don't let your airline trainer tell you that it's wrong <laughs> and just explain to them there's two terms foreign object debris which
0: is a substance foreign object damage which is the cause yeah this is typical next trip podcast material <laughs> where we go way too far in the weeds way and then far. our, our <laughs> listeners pull us back out and say it's fine guys <laughs> oh, <laughs> you don't need to, to like that
1: enough speed. already
0: yeah all right well what about airports named after famous people we keep getting information from from the listeners st louis stl john reminds us that it's lambert field this was originally the st louis flying field it was renamed Lambert Field after Albert Bond Lambert, who was an Olympic medalist golfer. He was the first person to receive a pilot's license in St. Louis and a big supporter of the airport. Drew, John is an aircraft scheduler, so we've got to try and have him on the show at some point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. John, if you're interested, we'll set up with you. So he's retired. He worked for our airline. Mm. So he mentioned how uh, aircraft scheduling was so difficult during 911 because everything had to change quickly and yeah. he
0: had to, you know, roll with roll with the changes. And he didn't have the technology that we have today. Yeah, exactly. Thanks for the comments guys. Please keep them coming even if it's about FOD, uh, but it, and <laughs> as I mentioned, pull us out of the abyss if we go way too deep into a comment. Right. This this comment from Charlie about FOD was perfect. We're, we we promised we're done.
1: We're not doing well avoiding the pilot memoirs because you are a pilot and I'm an aspiring private pilot and i feel like a lot of times i'm asking you questions and we're going on and on (laughs) but you know a lot of our listeners appreciate it if it's too much just let us know but we'll probably still keep doing (laughs) i mean i got a lot of information just from you about you know changing your runway configuration anyway all right to our listeners this podcast is your show so go on our website nextripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback you can also follow us on twitter or instagram at Next Trip Podcast, please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who
0: love aviation and travel. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about not on twitter you can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts it will help other listeners like you discover this show the attack in Balakot was my Balakot. i think so. okay the attack in Balakot, Balakot, yeah. pakistan responded by shooting down an indian fighter jet the aerial attacks were brought to uh, the aerial attacks brought oh uh, sorry the aerial attacks brought the countries to the brink of war.